2: Evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about mythological mystification and prophetic pursuits. I'm your host of the evening, Nick Goroff, standing in for our dear friend Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Caitlin Pace and David Lieb are voice talents Melissa Medina, Olivia Steele, and me, your host, Nick Goroff. Now... Get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Caitlin Pace and is performed by Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina, and me, Nick Gorov. In it, we'll meet Katie, a woman whose grandmother grew up in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and, with her increasing progression with Alzheimer's, believes that she saw the Mothman as a child. Katie allows her grandmother to talk about the creature, as it is always better to talk about these things, but with her grandmother's insistence of seeing the creature presently and her chance encounter of following her grandmother outside, When she was trying to keep her inside of the house all day, Katie soon finds that her grandmother's failing memories may hold some truth after all. Without further ado, I present to you, Forgetful Soon. She won't stop talking about the Mothman.
3: Dad's voice was wispy through the wind rushing past the car, and I had to lean closer to the phone to hear him.
2: Just let her talk about it. She thinks that she saw him. She gets upset if you don't let her talk about it.
3: Yeah, that's no problem, I responded. It wasn't the first time Nana had mentioned the Mothman to me, I wanted to say. But instead, I said, have a good day. Love you.
2: Love you too. And thank you again for looking over her today. Papa should be back around six.
3: What time will you be back?
2: Not until tomorrow morning. I'm spending the night in North Carolina, I'm finishing my client's will and he wants to meet in person. We probably won't be finished until late tonight, and then I'll drive back home tomorrow.
3: Okay, sounds good. Bye. Bye. There were only two other people on the roads this early, and I allowed my grip on the steering wheel to lessen. When the phone clicked off and the muffled sounds of the radio came through, I began to mumble along to the song they were playing. It was the same pop song, something that the radio had played five times this week, and I never cared to learn who sang it. It was catchy enough, though, for me to know the words. The roads meandered through the mountains leading up to Papa and Nana's house, and I fell against the sides of my seat as I took them in. As the road straightened out and I approached their driveway, I saw that Papa's white Honda was not in the open garage. Why did he leave before I came here? Did he lock the doors? I took a deep breath. He must have only left a few minutes ago, and he left the garage door open for me. But what if she got out? I thought. It would only take Nana a few minutes to walk out of the house. I parked the car and looked around me. Could she already be outside, walking on the street? What if a car hit her? But the street was empty for as far as I could see. I ran to the house and turned the doorknob. It was unlocked what if she walked down the hill and into the woods would i be able to find her then when i opened the door precious started barking well hi there i said and i put out my hand she started to lick my palm is your mom home who are you i heard nana ask and i turned to look at her she was sitting on the couch in the living room beside the door white dog fur clung to her black fuzzy pajamas Her eyebrows scrunched up together, and her eyelids drooped down as if she were half-awake. I'm Katie, your granddaughter, I said, and when her expression didn't change, I felt hollowness at the back of my throat. I gripped onto my phone, ready to call Dad or Papa or anyone. But then she smiled and gave a short laugh. She patted the spot beside her on the couch. Well, come here, baby. I moved to sit beside her, and Precious followed sitting on Nana's lap when she'd gotten settled. Do you need me to make you something for lunch? I asked, but she gave another short laugh at that.
1: No, honey,
3: I'm okay. She grabbed onto my hand. My goodness, you've grown up?
1: The last time I saw you, you were a baby.
3: Nana, I saw you last month for your birthday. Oh, you did? She asked, and I nodded.
1: Well, I don't remember that,
3: How old
1: am I? 72. Oh, wow, that's old. I don't feel like
3: I'm 72. How old do you feel? 25. (laughs) She said and laughed. I tried to laugh with her, but I couldn't make myself form the sound. My shoulders moved up and down more than a laugh escaped from my lips.
1: You know, I used to live up in Point Pleasant.
3: She said and I nodded.
1: I haven't been there in a long time, though, but,
3: you know, they have the Mothman up there. They do? I questioned. It was better for her just to talk about it. She nodded like a child trying to convince her friend of a secret. I saw him for the first
1: time when I was a little girl. I was out in the backyard playing with uh, Matthew. Where is Matthew now?
3: He passed away, Nana.
1: Oh, That's right. You know, he wasn't good at keeping up with things. There was something wrong up here,
3: she said and pointed at her head. But
1: he was the kindest person I've ever met. It's a shame he had to be taken away so young from this earth, but we must not question the good lord's ways. He and I saw the Mothman, though. He came down to see us when we played in the backyard. He looks more like a giant bird than a moth. You know, they had the radiation stuff up there in Point Pleasant. I think that a bird fell into a pile of that stuff and the radiation caused it to grow too big. But I remember when he came to us, I held out my hand to him and he let me pet his head. It was so soft, and then he just flew away, like that. A few days later, though, Matthew was gone.
3: Where is Matthew? He passed away, Nana, when you were a kid.
1: Oh, that's right,
3: she said and patted my hand.
1: He never really got sick, though. I just remember that he was there, and then he wasn't. I don't know what happened to him. I used to play in that backyard all of the time. I went out much farther than I was allowed to. I would climb up those hills and I would always come back with my dresses in rags and my knees and palms cut and scarred. When my mama saw me, she would always yell. You know, she was so mean, but she was just worried about me.
3: A simple smile grew across her face. I could be stubborn, like that.
1: I never listened to her. If I had listened to her and stopped climbing those hills, I wouldn't have seen the creature again. My favorite spot on those hills was a ledge that overlooked the bridge. I would sit on that ledge and watch the cars drive by and the coal miners walk back and forth to work. When I was sitting on that ledge one day, oh, it was so cold. I think it was in the morning, in the middle of September, and it was the first morning where it felt more like autumn than it did summer. I thought about returning home to get my sweater, but I had outgrown all of my old sweaters. The only one that fit was the one my mom had spent all summer knitting, and I didn't want to risk tearing it when I climbed those hills again. I made up my mind and decided that I would stay and if I got sick I would just try to hide my sickness from my mom. Only 5 minutes must have passed before he flew down beside me and when he did the air created from him flapping his wings almost knocked me off the ledge. But when he was settled, we sat and watched the cars drive by, the coal miners walk to work and back home. He let me pet his head like he did the first time. The air was starting to warm up, though, and I knew it was nearing lunchtime. If I missed my lunch, my mom would be very upset. So I waved goodbye to the creature, and he didn't seem to notice. And then,
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash offer.
1: Later that night, we got a phone call. The bridge I was watching over had collapsed. My mom was crying, and I couldn't understand why. Children's minds just can't think of such destruction. It wasn't until I saw the bridge that I started crying too. Piles of rubble, that's all it was. And from then, I saw.
3: Nana paused. Now, what did I see? I don't know, Nana. She smiled at me. Anyways, it doesn't matter now. What was I talking about? I thought for a moment about whether or not I wanted to tell her what she was talking about. It would be easier just to turn on a movie for her to watch. But it was better for her to talk about such things, to get it out of her system. I finally said, The Mothman. The
1: Mothman?
3: Yes. How you saw him before Matthew passed away, and how you saw him before the bridge collapsed. Oh, yes.
1: I guess I did, didn't I? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I didn't think that the Mothman could leave Point Pleasant. That's his home. But I see him here sometimes. He likes to perch in the tree outside by the shed, and I see him when I'm in the upstairs bathroom. He's not there now, I know it, but he'll be there soon.
3: I'm sure he will be, Nana. Would you like me to make you something for lunch now? I nodded.
1: Oh, yes, dear. I'm very hungry.
3: I got up and went to the kitchen next to the living room. There was an open bag of cardboard plates by a line of glasses with my Nana's red lipstick stains on them. There were plates stacked up in the sink, and fragments of the ketchup and mustard on them were mixing with the bubbles in the soap water. How hungry are you, Nana? Who said that? Uh, Who are you? I stepped into the doorway leading to the kitchen. Do you know who I am? She smiled a tight-lipped smile at me. Yes,
1: dear. You're my baby.
3: Close enough, I thought. How hungry are you? She scrunched up her eyebrows like the question required some thought.
1: Well i think that i'm very hungry
3: paper plates it is then i'll do the dishes later what did you say what do you want for lunch well i think a cheeseburger and fries sounds good i nodded and returned to the kitchen when i opened up the fridge i saw the box of frozen meat patties on the top shelf and a container of ice cream below it there was only one meat patty left in the box i fumbled for my phone and tapped papa's contact What if he doesn't want to talk right now? I hung up on the call. I can get groceries when he comes back if he doesn't want to get any. I used a pan that was already lying on the stove, and I placed the patty on it. I turned the dial, and a red light glowed on the electric blacktop. There was a faint sound of bells jingling in the distance. Did Papa bring toys out for Nana? I almost left it at that, but the muscles in the pit of my stomach tightened. It was the only logical conclusion that I could come up with. I walked back to the living room, and Nana and Precious were no longer on the couch. "'Nana?' I yelled out. Silence. A rope of bells is tied to the doorknob on the door that connects the living room to the backyard. How does she remember how to unlock things? I could hear Precious's muffled barks as I ran to the door and opened it. "'Nana!' I called out. All I saw were the grass and the rose bushes with their bare brown branches for a second. Then, her voice said,
1: I'm right here, sweetie.
3: The gazebo was behind me, and the memories with it. My bare feet were pattering on the planks, wishing against everything that I wouldn't get a splinter. My grandma, lying down on the reclining chair, the wind chimes blowing in the distance. Was it supposed to storm that day? I crawled beside her, and she said, Just listen. I would have never noticed it flying in the air. That's the thing. How could you never notice something that big flying into the air? But I just know I wouldn't have. It was meant to blend into its surroundings, but with its raven-like feathers fluffed against one another, each one longer than my grandmother's arms. I could see it now. Perhaps it only flew at night. What's wrong, dear? I opened my mouth, but there was only silence. All I could think was, it's supposed to have red eyes. Its eyes were only pupils, and there was a thin pinkish red line near its eyelids. Oh baby, why are you staring like that? This is my… well,
1: I forgot what he is, but I've met him before. At least I feel like I have. I think he might be my guardian angel. (laughs) The Lord works in mysterious ways. Look, he brought Matthew on
3: his back with him. She pointed to where she saw Matthew, but there was nothing there. Only the dark feathers that glistened in the sunshine. Nana? And the word came out as nothing more than a whisper.
1: Oh, hi, Matthew. Where did you go? Well, I'm your sister. Yes, it's been a long time, hasn't it? I can't seem to remember
3: what happened to you. Well, okay, but why do you want me to tell her? Nana turned back to face me. If I happened to look in the backyard, I would think that the creature was nothing more than a Halloween decoration.
1: Matthew wants me to tell you this because he says that you'll remember it for longer than I will. He wants me to tell you that we were outside playing one day... And we were still children when he flew down beside us. Really? He let me pet him?
3: Nana reached out her hand and started stroking the creature's side. The thing nuzzled against her.
1: Yes, he is nice.
3: No, you shut your mouth.
1: Yes, I know. She turned back to look at me, still stroking the creature's side. Matthew saw the creature again that night. He didn't want to wake me up, and he was too scared to go out by himself, so he stared at the creature through the window. He must have stared for hours, but he started getting sleepy. He fell asleep lying to one side and knocked something off his nightstand. He turned to look at what had fallen, and then he turned to look out of the window. He wasn't there anymore. Matthew didn't go to sleep that night, and he saw him again on the second night, He stood out of his window for Matthew doesn't know how long, and Matthew couldn't stop staring at him. He was just slightly darker than the night around him. It must have been a few hours when he hadn't moved, and Matthew had just about convinced himself that it was all in his head. He turned away from his window and lay down in his bed. He had just shut his eyes when he heard scratching. The first thing that he looked at was the window, and his initial thought was that it was a tree branch scratching against the glass. He had convinced himself just enough to make him think that we had trees by the windows of our house. (laughs) He woke up on the third morning before the sun had risen into the sky. He opened the window as he did every morning, and that was when he saw the X carved into the glass. He heard the whistle of something breathing against the air, and he had just enough time to wonder if he had fallen asleep at all before the darkness folded around him. Then there was a bright
3: light, and it took over everything, and… There was a beeping in the distance, and it was louder than precious barking beside me. The creature, whose only previous movement had been blinking, spread its wings Nana fell to the ground against the creature flapping its wings, when I joined her at her side, we both looked up to the sky, watching the creature fly past the clouds until he couldn't be seen anymore.
2: What the hell is going on here?
3: My papa screamed. He was already standing on the porch, but I didn't hear the door open.
2: I came home and my whole kitchen is full of smoke. Are you trying to burn my house down?
3: I tried to say I'm sorry, but my lips only formed the shapes of the words. And then, it was like Papa had walked out of the fog. He saw Nana and me lying on the ground, and he asked,
2: ''What happened?''
3: ''Why are we outside?'' Nana asked at the same time. ''There was a creature outside here, Nana,'' I said and turned to face her. ''I think it was the Mothman.'' Silence from my grandfather, but I saw Nana smile. ''Oh, did he come to
1: visit me? "Oh, That's nice.'' You know, I didn't know that he could leave Point Pleasant. That's where he's from. But I see him so often now. He's not here right now, I know it. But he'll be back soon. Jesus, Papa exclaimed. You know, I want to tell you something, Nana said. I grew up in Point Pleasant, and I saw the
3: Mothman. It's true. And then I was hoisted up into the air. My grandfather's hands on my shoulders until I studied myself.
2: You only had to listen to her, not play into her ideas.
3: But he was here. We saw him. Who's here? Charlie, why are you so upset? Papa pressed the palms of his hands into his eyes, and I felt tears burn into the corners of my own. He opened his mouth and then closed it, deciding against whatever he was about to say.
2: Take your Nana upstairs. She needs to rest. It would be good if you rested too. You're not fit to drive back home right now."
3: I bit down on the inside of my cheek. I must sound so immature. Papa couldn't make eye contact with me as he passed Nana's hand to mine, and I started walking back inside the house.
1: "'Why are we
3: outside?' she asked. I opened the door, and once we walked through, I watched as Papa continued to stare at the forest behind his yard. He didn't intend to move. I closed the door behind us. We saw the Mothman, I said to Nana, and I watched a faint smile form across her face.
1: We did? You know, I've been seeing the Mothman a lot recently. I didn't know he could leave Point Pleasant. That's his home. But I see him a lot here. He's not here now, I know it. But he'll
3: be back soon. Yes, Nana. I know.
2: I hope you enjoyed Forgetful Soon, as written by Caitlin Pace and voiced by Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina and me, Nick Goroff. Olivia Steele, right here on our podcast network and YouTube episodes, can be found as well as on her own YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. As a reminder, voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as her website, Hearmelissa.com. That's H-E-A-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com. Our second tale of the evening is written by David Lee and performed by Olivia Steele and me, Nick Goroff. In it, we'll meet Emily, Ever since witnessing the tragic death of a close family friend as a girl, she's felt pursued by a figure who promised that one day he'd return to witness her end too. As an adult, the memory of that figure's promise colors every relationship in Emily's life and every choice she makes. Now, without further ado, I present to you No
3: Hope, No Harm. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive
0: health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not
1: intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
3: Emily's memory of that day on the lake, almost 15 years ago, had changed as time passed, and she knew it, but it didn't really matter. No, all the things that counted stayed the same even as the heavy hand of time twisted and distorted the scene. It must have been hot. She knew that. In every other memory she had of the lake, it was always hot and clear. And there were always mosquitoes buzzing all around. It must have been hot. And her mother and father must have been up the dirt road in the small lake house that they'd stayed at every year. There must have been late nights that summer looking up at the stars and long afternoons spent laying out in the grass, reading, sweating, doing nothing at all. The sun must have glittered on the face of the opal blue lake. Only as the years wore on, that's not how she remembered it. That same crystal clear water she used to dream of all year became thick and gray and murky in her mind. The sky darkened and a cold, low fog hung all around her. When she closed her eyes, sometimes she could even feel it like ice against her skin. She felt the damp and the fear and the loneliness. That didn't change. No, the things that counted stayed the same. She remembered the blue, rubbery, swollen skin how it had looked almost unreal to her. She remembered the girl's face, once slim and pretty, now fat with lake water. Her eyes bloodshot and rolled back in her head. She remembered the smell. There can't have been one, not so soon, but she remembered it anyways. The scent of wet death. Emily had sat there, small and alone on the gray shore beside the lake tears streaming down her cheeks. She was young then, maybe 11, and her face was still slightly chubby with baby fat, framed by her dark curls. She sat her hands underneath the damp towel upon which she sat, gripping handfuls of wet sand and letting go, again and again, squeezing the coarse grains through her fingers, She sat there alone, cold and shivering, watching helplessly as he pulled her from the lake. She had seen a body before, but never like this. She had been to her grandmother's funeral after all, seen the old woman all made up, pumped full of chemicals, stitched and sewn together to look just so. She had loved her grandmother, had felt no lingering trace of that love for the figure that had lain in the open casket. And yet, it had been okay. Maybe not right. And perhaps not alive, but bearable. Not like a person anymore, but not like a corpse either. Not like this. The girl's arms and legs hung limply at her sides as he cried and pulled her out of the water. Her head lolled to one side, and Emily saw the girl's blue lips, her eyes bulging out of her head. She saw her pruned fingers and toes, her swollen features. This wasn't a doll, not some curious facsimile of life. This was a person. A person who had been living, breathing, and laughing not so very long ago. This was a person she had loved as a sister Who was now gone forever. A kind, shy, and gentle thing, like a bird tossed about in a storm and broken on the rocks. As Emily's brother Andrew walked towards her, holding the young and broken body in his arms, he looked at her, tears streaming from his puffy red eyes. He kept asking, why? She remembered the feeling of helplessness and grief as she found herself unable to reply with anything but a simple refrain of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It was as if she was desperate to convince him, as if she was desperate to convince herself. Those words had echoed in her head since then, her voice always haunting her. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He sat next to her for a long time, crying. She remembered him crying, remembered shaking as he sat next to her. She remembered his face curling tightly into an ugly mask of sorrow. He got up and ran towards the house. He left her there alone with the body. She remembered sitting for a while, still clutching at the sand, looking at her. She remembered being so convinced it was only a nightmare that would end soon enough, that if she could only focus hard enough, she would wake up. Only she didn't. More than anything, she remembered being there, alone. Only not really alone. No, she had not been alone all day. Not since he had arrived. He was in every memory she had of that day. When Emily had sat down that morning, he had been there. Before she had watched the girl drown, he had been there. And as her brother carried the body out, he had been there. Beside Emily. Watching. Always there. And always doing nothing. 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 She looked to her side and saw him sitting there. There was something odd about him, though she hadn't been able to place her finger on what it was. Even as a young girl, she was old enough to know that at the very least, it was strange that he was there. Strange she was sitting by the little lake that for three or four weeks a year was her family's domain. And yet, she had said nothing. Why? Why? Because she was afraid of him. From the moment she saw him, she was scared, and she knew she was right to be frightened. And because if she ignored him, then maybe he would just go away. That must be why everyone else ignored him, so that he would go away. No matter how hard she tried to keep her eyes pinned out on the water, though, she could feel his eyes on her. There was no particular intensity to his gaze, just a calm accounting of her. In the corner of her eye, she could make out his face, make out an unbroken Cheshire grin. But still, she kept her eyes on the water. Maybe he'll just go away, she thought. Perhaps if I sit here, then he'll leave me alone. Only when it was happening, Only when the girl was about to succumb to the cold, murky water did Emily turn to face him in a panic, only to find that his eyes were no longer on her, but had finally turned to the lake. He was still, silent, unhurried. He seemed undisturbed by the sight of the girl drowning, only watched with that same Cheshire grin. It wasn't until after her brother dragged the body up to the shore, until after he had left to run to the house, until after he had left Emily with the body that she felt the man's attention turn to her once more. She met his gaze now, and felt a sort of vague dread as she looked into his eyes, grey like the water, and every bit as cold, and every bit as deadly. She looked at him, wishing she could run away, wishing she could turn from him and never see him again. But she was transfixed. Held. Finally, when she could sit silently no longer, she asked the question that she was most afraid to ask. Yet once she started to speak, she knew she couldn't stop herself. Why didn't you help her? She said between tears, her voice ragged and hoarse why didn't you go in? Why didn't you get someone? You let her die. You just watched. Why did you let her die? Why? She asked, choking, becoming frantic. Why? Why? Again and again until her own sobs forced her to stop. He sat patiently while she spoke, smiling at her, and did not say a word as she broke down into racking sobs. He said nothing as she curled into herself, let grief take hold of her body, and howled. He waited until she was exhausted, and her trembling subsided, and her cries were stilled. And only then did he answer her softly.
2: I'm not here to help.
3: He said matter-of-factly without a hint of apology or empathy in his voice. Once again, she didn't want to ask, but she felt she had no choice. She felt someone else's words tumble out of her mouth. Then why are you here?
2: I'm here,
3: he replied, almost kindly.
2: To watch pretty girls die.
3: He stood, and she thought he would finally leave her alone with the body. And she was somehow grateful for that when he turned back deliberately, and spoke again, once more.
2: Don't be sad, and don't be jealous. Next time you see me, I'll be there just for you.
3: And with that, he strolled towards the woods nearby, and disappeared. The setting sun streamed in through Adam's window, illuminating floating motes of dust. He should probably clean up in here, he realized, in case she comes over. It was an idle thought, and a useless one, and he knew he was far too restless now to clean. He glanced at his phone. Nothing. He tried to distract himself, looked at his laptop, knowing full well that everyone he worked with would have wrapped up for the day. No emails, he looked at his phone. Still nothing. Fuck. Their thing was too new for him to be upset at the waiting, he knew, and he wasn't upset. He was, if anything, annoyed at himself. How had he become so attached so quickly, and why? They'd known each other only a few days, and already she had this hold on him. Already an evening spent alone felt lonely. More than anything else, when he thought of her, he saw her eyes, Though she had plenty of striking features. Her hair was long, dark, wavy, and seemed to flow down her face, across her back, like a still and dark and unbroken stream of water. Her face was sharp, all harsh angles and high cheekbones, and still somehow inviting. Whenever she smiled, it seemed perfect, genuine, like a piercing ray of warm sunshine through a cold fog. More than any of that, though, her eyes struck him. They were soft and deep, and dark, somehow darker than dark. In a way, they seemed almost to radiate darkness, sadness. From the moment that their eyes met, he could tell that there was something more to her, something he wanted to spend the time to find out. He didn't know what had to happen to a person to make them look that way, but from the start he had had the urge to hold her, to tell her everything would be fine, that she would be fine. She didn't talk much, not in the little time they spent together at least, but when she did he always felt the weight of what she said. She chose her words carefully and didn't waste them on trivial thoughts. He never doubted that when they were together she was fully there, fully present and so being with her was unlike being with anyone he had ever known before. From the day he'd met her, he knew that he had to have her, that she had to be his because he already belonged to her. He loved her, and he barely knew why. He felt as if his love for her gave him life, and that as long as he could be with her, he would never grow tired, never get old. His reflection was broken in an instant when he saw his phone light up, finally, a message, two words, meet tonight. His anxiety melted and he felt relief and joy wash over him as he replied, too eagerly he worried, to coordinate the details. Soon enough, he'd see her. He picked her up at a quiet intersection in town. It was primarily residential, no businesses around, and though he wondered what she was doing here, he did not ask. In a way, he felt as if he was in a dream, and if he thought about it too hard, looked too closely, he would wake up. He wasn't ready for the dream to end yet. She stepped into his car wordlessly, and he slid away from the curb into the night. She was always quiet. But tonight she seemed different he spoke to her more than she spoke to him which was nothing out of the ordinary and yet she seemed more distant than usual distracted he tried to ignore it
2: so where do you want to go
3: he asked cursing himself for not making some plan for the two of them it was difficult not knowing when the phone would ring but he should have been ready He should have been more intelligent, but somehow she made him stupid. Wherever you want, she replied shortly, checking the rearview mirror behind her. He let a silence hang between them for a moment. Was she growing tired of him already? But then why had she called? He was overthinking it, he knew. He should try to be natural, try to be cool. Still, he couldn't help but notice her glances over her shoulder, as if she was expecting a tale.
2: Who do you keep looking at back there?
3: He turned around as he drove. The road behind them was dark, empty. There was no one, and yet she didn't reply. M. Your place, she said as if she hadn't heard him at all. What? He asked, still looking for some sign of headlights behind them. Let's go to your place. It didn't answer the question he had asked, but they had never gone home together and he was not about to argue. As he smoothly pulled onto a side street, making his way back to his tiny apartment, which had seemed a lonely place for so long, she remained restless. He couldn't push the question from his mind. Who the hell was she looking for? A thought occurred to him. Maybe he wasn't the only man she was seeing. Maybe she was worried about being seen with him, about being followed, he immediately dismissed the idea, and yet. He was not a jealous man, yet something about the thought of her with someone else. He looked over at her.
2: You alright?
3: I'm fine, yeah, she replied, pushing a dark curl from her face, looking down at her hands. Why?
2: You seem a little. distracted.
3: She shook her head softly. Sorry. Long day. He softened a little as she spoke. She sounded sorry when she said it. Work? He asked with genuine concern. They hadn't discussed her work, hadn't discussed most anything about her, and it was not the first time he wondered if she was caught up in something unsavory. She shook her head again. Someone from my past showed up and threw me for a loop. He waited for a while, giving her the space to say more, but her body language told him she was done talking about it. Sorry maybe it was someone else after all, another man, an ex. Perhaps she had called him up to tell him it was over, and they were getting back together. He felt the jealousy rise again like bile in his throat. He felt the dream fading, felt the burden of wakefulness pushing in. Why had he let himself get so stupid for her? He wasn't a teenager anymore, he should know better. He scolded himself. Why had he let her make him feel this way? It's okay. She looked at him and smiled softly. And as he looked at her face, he calmed. He looked ahead and drove.
2: you still living in that motel?
3: He asked. She nodded softly. I haven't been able to find anything permanent yet. They pulled up to his apartment building.
2: Well, this is it. Let's go. I hope you enjoyed No Hope, No Harm, as written by David Lieb and performed by Olivia Steele and me, Nick Goroff. As the 2016 Evil Idol champion and regular voice actor, my talents can actually be found right here on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, even featuring a playlist of my narrations as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary Podcast. You can also join me on my own YouTube channel, Wizard of Calls, or, as I'm proud to announce, the launch of a new one, 2BR02B, or, as Kurt Vonnegut, who it is mentioned to honor, 2BR, not 2B, a place for speculative science fiction and deeper dives into odd concepts. If you enjoy speculative science fiction, join me at 2BR02B. And of course, as a horror fan, you know you're right at home here with Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight. And remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron on our website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com. To show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Nick Goroff, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Telling tales for dark nights.